welcome to Your Music Saved Us, where two friends blast ourselves into the past to relive and recontextualize the alternative Christian music that we grew up listening to in the 1990s. My name's Clifton, and I'll be your host. Joining me today is the star-studded center himself, Jay. How are you doing today? I'm good, and I like the poor old Lou reference, Clifton. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty impressed. So uh, <laughs> That brings us right around to the main subject. What are we listening to? We're listening to poor old Lou's... I was going to say sophomore album. I don't know if we count their demo album before that, but let's say sophomore album Sin from 1994. I think they consider it their sophomore album, so that's good enough. Okay. Have you listened to this much since the 1990s? You know, it's a good question. I was thinking about that as I was really listening to it before this. Um, I have some. It's definitely one I have revisited a little bit, unlike some of the others that we've talked about, you know, that I hadn't touched in 20 years, but not a lot. And uh, how did it make you feel going back to listen to this? Well, you know, like, well, I, I know we'll get into this, but I'll say I was definitely like a huge Poor Old Lou fan. So I know I'm biased, but I really enjoyed listening to it again. Yeah. And I know we'll talk more about it, but I felt like overall, a lot of it still kind of held up. I mean, there, there's some dated sounding stuff in there and some things, but yeah. overall, I had I came away with a lot more positives than negatives. I'll say it that way. Poor Old Lou, four guys from Seattle. It's Aaron Sprinkle on guitar. It's Nick Barber bass. It's Scott Hunter vocals. And then I think from my memory or an interview or something, they ended up getting Jesse to play drums, which is Aaron's little brother. I think yes. either he asked because no one else could or they lost their drummer. or so, it, I don't <laughs> think that was the original plan, but, you know, little brother got involved and that's how they got their drummer. Everything I read, it just said that they that Jesse came on when they switched names to Pearl Lou from whatever the... I think it was like Bell Bang Via or something. Bell Bang Via, which, yeah. Yeah, and I think they said that it sounded a lot like Bill Biv DeVoe, that um, <laughs> the rap group. <laughs> and so they, nope. they changed it. And Pearl Lou is definitely a better name. I, I always remember thinking that Pearl... Like, I didn't know where Pearl Lou came from until... Well, honestly, re researching this album. And I always remember thinking that it sounded so generic that there has to be like 5,000 bands out there called Poor Old Lou. But no. There's not. Just yeah, the one. I know. I know. I think that was another thing I liked at the time, too. It was like, oh, C.S. Lewis, Narnia. All right. Well, let's get back to the 1990s. How did you originally find Poor Old Lou? Man, that is a good question. Probably like many of the albums we're going to talk about, it was the local Christian bookstore. And... Mm -hmm. My memory is I had their album before this, Mind Size, first. Okay. And I think, I don't remember exactly, my, my hunch is it either just looked kind of cool, the cover, and I <laughs> thought, oh, this is some kind of alternative band, or it was one of those recommended, if you like, charts that they had there sometime, you know? But yes. I know that I got Mind Size before I got Sin. Okay. Um, so that was kind of my introduction to them was that album. Was it in 1994 or was it uh, after that? Uh, I th So I know Sin came out in 94 and I tried to look for this episode to find the exact date. You know, just thinking about, because for me, 94, like, would I have been in eighth grade? Like, exactly mm -hmm. what grade was I in? All that I was trying to find and I couldn't. And I think I got mine size maybe even in 93 when that one came out okay. or early 94 wow. because i remember i had that one and that's what made me excited about sin when it came out and i mm -hmm. and i did definitely get it i think in 94 i was thinking about it and it would have been like end of eighth grade beginning of freshman year i think if i've got my timeline right 
mm-hmm. with this. So sometime in there. I specifically remember, though, having Sin in middle school. Okay. It, so it must have <laughs> been that like second, that last, you know, January through May. Yeah. 94 yeah and i'll tell more about that in a minute but um i definitely remember middle school having okay. this so you said you're a big poor Lou fan was that did that start with mind size or, or did did sin change that um i think it started with mind size but i think sin really kind of pushed me over the edge more um you know at the time i got mind size i was like a big newsboys fan <laughs> and <laughs> um i did like steve taylor a lot and that's another guy I hope we kind of explore on this podcast, um, mm-hmm. who I feel like is, well, he ended up writing a lot of the Newsboys songs, so it's probably the same thing. But I feel like maybe he's a little more respectable <laughs> than the Newsboys looking back. And I felt like Poor Lou was maybe the first band I got that I felt like like had some credibility. I don't know from whom, like who, <laughs> I mean, I'm an eighth grader, you know, I don't know right. who like I'm <laughs> talking to, but it, they just seemed more real and a little bit cooler you know you could sense like okay this isn't really like youth group music anymore this is something a little different but and i liked mind size but i definitely got a lot more into sin like when that one came out that was the album that really Mm kind of grabbed me do you have any fond memories of sin yeah um well i have a memory associated with it i'll say so i got pretty into this and i don't know what you know made me do this but i remember wrote i wrote the band a letter because you know this is like (laughs) pre-internet kind of thing and they wrote back it was jesse the drummer um who i think must have handled all their correspondence and they wrote back and he sent like a little order form to order like t you know t-shirts and stuff like that (laughs) And so me and a friend, I think also just to like cover shipping, we like ordered together. And so we both got poor old Lou shirts and we thought <laughs> we were like the coolest people ever. I had this one that was baby. I think I still have it somewhere. It's baby blue and it says poor old Lou sin, but it's like the creamsicle popsicle on the front. Oh, yeah. And I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever because it just, <laughs> it looked cool. It looked alternative. It. Again, I'm kind of coming from like newsboys and stuff like that. And this definitely had a different feel, <laughs> um, you know, musically, but also just stylistically. And so, yeah, like I was like, okay, I've arrived. This is a cool band. I don't have to feel like lame or kind of maybe worried what people are going to think. This is, these guys are cool. This is good stuff. Awesome. You know, and around that time, it was after Sin, but. Sometime before that EP, I think it was still maybe in 94, early 95, they put out that sit and stare video. It was like a little, what's VHS, but a compilation of um, mostly songs. I think it had, um, what was it, All Pretty for the TV from Mind Size, but I think the rest was like songs from Sin. And so I was obsessed with that too. I just watched it God knows how many (laughs) times, you know, like, oh my gosh, these guys are so cool, Um, whatever. And in preparation for this podcast, I just rewatched part of it on YouTube and it's, it brought back a lot of memories, but it was also funny. It was like, these are just basically like, I don't know, where they were probably around 20, early 20s kids, you know, it's funny watching it now as an adult looking at that, but uh, still lots of good memories. Yeah. And I was, I was just pretty obsessed for a while. This, they seemed at the time for me, like pretty for me at the time, pretty edgy in some ways, just um, especially with the sound, but it was still accessible enough for me, you know, that I could handle it. I wasn't like getting into hardcore or anything at the time, but this like, (laughs) it felt like it pushed the boundaries for me in a really positive way. 
all that to say, I, I really, really liked him and got really into it. And of course, when Jesse wrote me back and stuff, you know, that <laughs> made me like them even more. So, um, what did you expect before you went back and listened to it again? Well, again, I had fond memories, but I was more, I was kind of coming at it with questions like, how well is this going to hold up? Am I going to enjoy listening to this? Because, you know, some of these that we've been talking about, you go back and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was just kind of wondering where I was going to fall on that. And, and again, overall, <laughs> pretty positive. Like, yeah, yeah like I, you know, I, there's some things that I don't just totally love now. But overall, I kind of think it holds up in a lot of ways. Um, did any specific songs stand out to you? Yeah, quite. You know, almost all. The, the funny thing is I realized how much I listened to this because almost I, I remembered every song. Oh, wow. You know, I'm still kind of this way. I'm not, I don't really pay attention to the lyrics first. And Scott's voice is kind <laughs> of, it's not all, I don't think it's always easy to make out everything he's saying in all the songs. No, um, and it's more of an instrument. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> I recognize the melodies, but I, I had to like kind of go back and look at the lyrics um, yes. for this because I was like, what does he say? Oh, okay. The lyrics are, are are more towards you know alternative music. They're they're kind of more esoteric. They're not telling an exact story. They're you know they're they're just they're they're more vague. Even though going back and looking looking at the lyrics, at the lyrics they're they're still explicitly I think evangelical. You know I think that them being more esoteric, more vague is was also a nice touch. You know that that doesn't happen a lot in Christian music because there is a, a concentration put on saying something. Yeah. They they felt pretty honest, and I think still do, for where he was at the time. And you're right, there's still definitely evangelical mentions of Jesus and Savior and, and all that, but not in a not in a super preachy way. No. In fact, it felt felt kind of personal for him, like the mm -hmm. way the songs were written, more of like, this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, so that, for me, that's made it easier to kind of get back into it, where some of these are just so hit you in the face with, preachy stuff it's really hard to listen to yeah now. I, I was um, never once tempted to count how many times they use the word faith yeah yeah <laughs> no i mean that's a that's a good way to put it because it it was in there but you weren't i don't know i i wasn't kind of like shuddering each time i heard it now or anything yeah. like that it it felt kind of real and kind of honest and so you know that's okay right. i'm a I know we want to talk about songs, but before we do that, I'm just curious. This is what I wanted to ask, but I hadn't till we recording right now. Like, what was your overall just impression? Um, so I didn't really listen to Sin in high school um, or junior high, for that matter. <laughs> um, I didn't. I think my first experience with but my first experience with, with Poor Lou was definitely um, a straight six. And I was, I was more, I, I loved straight six and I was more a fan of Eighth Wonder. So I didn't have any memories to pull on for this. It took a, it took a, it took a song or, or two to really sound like Poor Lou to me for, which is really has to do with like almost all of their choruses go into a, mi a minor, uh, they start with, we start with a minor chord and, and it, and it's the way that, that Scott's voice interacts with that minor chord is just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than that, but it's, it, there's just this Poor Lou-ness to, uh, <laughs> to, 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 to their music, you know, that, that they stand, you can tell a Poor Lou song. You know, uh, but it, the first song didn't really come off that way uh, that much to me. Mm -hmm. um, overall, though, you know, I think that this is a a much rougher album, obviously, than Eighth Wonder, and, and especially way rougher than than, than uh, Straight Six. Straight Six is more acoustic, and it's it's more it's it's maybe the the most polished thing they did in that era. You know, this has a lot more grunge to it, which I found interesting. Yeah, definitely a lot of grunge. <laughs> yeah, you know, my my 
So one of the reasons I was never a huge Pearlu fan in general is that I'm I'm kind of a more straightforward pop type stuff, whereas or at least I did in high school, you know. Whereas Pearlu is much more atmosphere and texture and cadence and 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 those kind of things, you know. You know, there's not always a hook, you, you know, but right. that, that was, but I, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I found myself getting bored of listening to it sometimes, but then I would find myself not listening to it and it just in the background. And in the background, I was like, this is, this is great. You know? <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. I, I felt like, and I really want to echo what you were saying, just kind of about like cadence and rhythm and just some of the stuff not being so straightforward. I felt like this album more than any of their others is like that. Like yeah. I felt now, and to be honest, I should have gone back and listened to it more before this, but like picture of the eighth wonder is good, but I feel like it's a little more straight ahead, just mm-hmm. songwriting um, where this one's got all kinds of weird stuff, oh, weird yes. rhythms and just all kinds of strange stuff that I think mostly <laughs> works, but it's kind of a, a departure from the rest of their stuff. And you're right. It is more grungy. Scott yells some or kind of growls some, which he doesn't do on. <laughs> I don't think that I remember any of the other albums. No. Yeah, it, it, it's a very interesting album, and it'll when we get to the award part, I think I don't know, it'll maybe bring it all together. <laughs> all right, let's dive in then. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with that first song, "Complain." Um, it's not. I know I put it on the list to talk about. It's not my favorite song mm-hmm. on the album, but I do really like the soft loud dynamic like i like how it starts with kind of the fairly softly but then it has that moment when everything kicks in Mm -hmm. loud and it just sounds really good right then and it's just a nice kind of way to start the album overall i think and it kind of gets you up to speed on on where this album is going and kind of the overall feel of the album. Yeah. Um, I kind of also liked the back and forth that Scott does with his vocals on it. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading, he said they recorded one in mono. And so the way it kind of, it's got a different sound when they go back and forth. Yeah. Um, I liked that, you know, I don't know if lyrically a lot stood out about the song for me, but um, I just, I thought it was a nice way to start the album. And it's one of those I definitely think about when I think about this. album. I agree. And they don't hit that minor chord until the very last chord of the song, which is when you go, oh, is this a Pearl Lou album? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I did like the way that the song kind of like fell apart at the end, mm-hmm. just for fun. And I kind of like how you get a little bit of the recording blip before the next song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, at the end of that, when he says... Still rolling. Um, it, it, I don't know. It just It's just kind of fun, and it's like a... I don't know if you call it an Easter egg or what, but just some kind of little <laughs> hidden thing, you know, to enjoy. So, it, I, I don't know. I thought it was an overall pretty good way to start it. I probably could talk about all these songs, but I, I thought, <laughs> you know, pull out a few. Another one that always stood out to me was um, My World Falls Down. And that's probably the first one on the album that he gets a little growly and yelly. Right. <laughs> Definitely has a grunge sound. But I remember at the time just loving it, thinking like, oh my God, this is so cool. Again, the lyrics felt a lot more real than <laughs> Newsboys. 
yeah, or DC Talk or whatever the other stuff you know that was being played at the time. Um, I, I this was a good song. I really enjoyed it. It it sounds a little dated to me now, to be honest. Yes. Um, the screaming is definitely weird. Um, I I I definitely had a reaction to that listening to it. Right? I just pulled back for a second and I was like, "Whoa, okay, where'd that come from?" <laughs> right. Um. And and it's also weird because a lot of bands that kind of do the back and forth between screaming and not screaming have a different vocalist doing the screaming part, but it's definitely Scott doing that. He does have a he's got a big range. He does. And you see that on this album a lot. Yeah. This this uh website that has the lyrics called genius.com, someone has posted here things that Scott Hunter has said about a bunch of songs. Yeah, which I really thought was Nice. A yes, nice it was, it was a great insight into this that didn't require you to go to a bunch of places. Scott says here that this is one of the their most popular songs for in concert. I could see that. I could see everybody wanting to kind of scream it or shout it along at the chorus with them. Mm-hmm. He says the beauty of this song might lie in its aggressive nature that soon tapers off, which is kind of an understatement because the scream happens and then it's just like immediately falls off. I like how the song ends kind of... um I don't, you know, I don't play guitar, but on the, the, the chord it ends on sounds really positive. Hmm. Like the song, it sounded kind of dark and screaming. And then that very last chord when it goes out is kind okay. of just this nice, huh. happy sound. I, I will say, and, and we can talk about this in another song too. I, I feel like to for only having one guitar player, they do a lot on this album. Like Aaron does. Well, there's more than one guitar track. Okay. But. But there's a lot like going, maybe that's what I should have thought about. But there's a lot going on in all these songs. And I remember thinking like, oh, they really only had one guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's something else that's kind of poor old Lou is just how much is going on with the guitar. Mm-hmm. And it's all Aaron Sprinkle. I mean, it's and it's I think it's one of the things that probably turned me off at the time because I, I liked simpler music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he brings a lot of complexity. And, and I mean, from the kind of just music theory of it, from, you know, what he what he's doing in next to each other to his rhythms. It's, it's all pretty, pretty complex. I, I I will say that, especially in this first half of the album, I thought that there were times where that could get gimmicky and not so much in a bad way, but more like you feel like they sat around and played around with their guitar until they, th- they, they thought they had a something, you know, in, in air quotes there. Right. And then they're like, okay, now that we have a something, let's record that. Well, the other, <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about is Jesse's drumming. Oh. <laughs> it's so not conventional, um, <laughs> and it's so busy. Yeah, and it really works. I think in most of the songs, occasionally not so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's just too much going on. I think it was the beginning of "I Am No Good." that he's just he's right he's got too many symbols going on i just it's a little too much at one point but other songs when it's loud um and even in, in this one is a good example of my world falls down like he's just like all over the place when they've got those loud parts like mm-hmm. doing a lot more than i think most drummers would like he uses toms throughout this album way more yes than most rock drummers do and it but for the most part i think it it works mm-hmm. um I agree. I, 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 it's something I, re- I, I realized when I was watching a video of them playing with how much he uses toms, and and it, and it's. I really appreciate it. it, it you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's more than most. You know, most rock rock drummers depend on hi hat and snare pretty much mostly. 
Um, there's very few bands that have really brought toms into into rock that much outside of, you know, heavy metal or not heavy metal, right. so much as hardcore <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, but yeah, it was it was it was um it, it adds a it adds more depth to to the songs. Right, right. Again, there's like, you know, this is the band doesn't have that many members. It's just a four piece, and the, mm-hmm. but the singer just sings. You know, mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot going on. Because of everything they're doing. Yeah. And the, the drumming was, I don't know. I would love, honestly, I would love to hear just the drum tracks for some of these songs, <laughs> just hearing the drums. Cause I think it would be really interesting just to hear that cut out by itself. Cause it's all like way busier than most people I think would play these songs. If you gave, you know, if you set down a drummer and said, you know, play along to this, he's playing like doing way more stuff. You know, 90% of the time, I think it works. Mm. Well, let's skip. So this is the, the middle songs on this album. I do feel like get skipped a little bit. And I have kind of gone back and listened to them. And I do think I really kind of like all of them mm-hmm. for one reason or another. But let's talk about where were all of you. This was kind of their, I guess, single yes. from the album. It was a single. If they had one. And I think it, 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 you know, it's got that effect on the guitar to start off. But I think this one is more straight ahead, kind of a pop song than most of the other ones on here. Yeah. And I could see why it became the single, because the chorus, a little bit catchier, a little easier to get into. And it's definitely about Jesus and all that, but it's not, <laughs> it, again, it's not too in your face. Yeah. Yeah, I remember always liking this song at the time, and hearing it again now, I think, still think it's a pretty good song. What are what are your thoughts on it? So one of the things this song made me realize is how much their choruses don't work on other songs. <laughs> because this song has a really good chorus, but if you go back to the, other, to the other songs and listen to them again, I realized that the verses are the parts that stand out, and the choruses are kind of just the flattest part of the songs, honestly. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, I don't know... I don't know why that is. I don't know if that had to do with how they wrote the songs, because it's definitely not true of later on, poor old Lou. Right. But on this album, the choruses are very often the flattest, kind of just most uninteresting part of the song, if they're even longer than five seconds, honestly. Yeah, that's true, because some of the other songs, the things that I remember from them are not the chorus. Yes. Like, there's other mem- memorable parts and even catchy parts, but it's not always the chorus. Mm-hmm. Like the song before, Hope for Always, like I love just the way it starts. I don't even know what to compare it to, but with the, the fast drum beat and it's... Um, is that is that the country song? It kind of sounds country, yeah. yeah. Like, darn it, darn Yeah, like, but it works for it, but that's kind of what stands out. You see, that's what you remember. Yes. Let's talk about the next song, Bliss Is. That's a great example where, like, it's not really the chorus. It's the way, for me, it's the way that song kind of starts. Yeah, with that driving bass line. And my first thought was silage? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funky, Uh right? But it's fast enough. It's a little too fast to be funk. And it's... Yeah, it works. It's another one where he yells a little bit. And he yells, cut my wrist, which Mm -hmm. probably should have been more controversial in the Christian market. But for some reason, I don't remember them (laughs) getting a lot of controversy. This one, I did actually like the lyrics looking back on them now. Yeah. 
you know, I felt like it was kind of a little bit about materialism and a little bit about expectations and some of those things. And so it, this was one I appreciated going back and looking at the lyrics now because I think it didn't really hit me at the time. But um, I thought he did a good job on this one. The song's also really short. Yes, it is. Which is actually something I noticed about a lot of the songs on here. They don't, they're not, there's not a lot of filler. They're not repeating it too many times. I know we're going to talk about Sickly, which is probably like the longest song. But this one, I think, was just a little over two minutes long. And in fact, one thing Scott says about this song is that he says, lyrically, I'm surprised that this song didn't receive more criticism. It's fairly brash and in your face, but also quite true, at least for the time. I'm surprised about that as well. <laughs> yeah. Did you read what it's actually about? It's family issues, right? Some communication stuff? Yeah, he felt that he wasn't, his family wasn't communicating enough. So I, I read another interview that he did many years after this, where he said that he's looking back on it, he was probably being a little bit uh, judgmental about that. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're more, maybe, maybe uh, more young and idealistic about how things should be. Right. Well, the nice thing about this one is it's so kind of vague in some ways that you could kind of think he was talking about a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. Like, just listening to it, I never thought it was about family. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, the first three lines, raise to be rich, trip or be tripped, give to get, live to get. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You could take that a lot of ways. And I think there's I'm not thinking about family or communication stuff. He talks no. about silence at the dinner chair later and things. But um. Yeah, I, I really like this song, which is funny because I don't like funk or any of that stuff that this <laughs> usually sounds like. But I just it's short, it's fast, it's upbeat. And and the the bridge breakdown is if the rest of the song wasn't funky to you, the bridge breakdown really, right. really takes care of that. <laughs> right. Which is also I wouldn't probably like that on its own, but it just I don't know. It works right. in the song. I do feel like this album has a lot of those things like that where you're like, this is kind of weird, but it kind of works. Mm -hmm. With the song, like like you're saying, the country one on the other song, this, like, it's just, it works. Yeah. So this was also one of the, this uh, was one of the songs that had a music video on Sit and Stare. Yep. Which I think probably made me like the song more too, you know, and, and I had more memories of it because I watched that damn tape so many times. <laughs> it's a pretty random music video. You know, I think the other one they did was for Sickly. Mm-hmm. And Sickly actually seems to have a theme, whereas this seems more just follow the kids around with a video camera and watch them right. do skateboard and bike and <laughs> throw some things at each other. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, one thing we haven't talked about, but I felt like this album, I, I feel like it does pretty well as an album as a whole. Like yes. I thought that the songs were put together relatively well. There's some interesting stuff. Was it the end? I think it might have been at the end of... Right before Where Were All of You, for Hope for Always, I think it kind of breaks down into some little like acoustic stuff, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you've got Where Were All of You, you've got Blisses, then you switch into Cannon Fire Orange, which is just a completely different <laughs> thing altogether. This is never going to be like my favorite Poor Old Blue song, but it's just so like different. Yes. Yeah, and I appreciate they kind of did the like the Spanish sounding guitar and... This is one that I think is not. This is probably their least Christian song. Hmm. Interesting. It's, or at least explicitly, I'm sure you can pull it out of this, but it it's not as much in your face as maybe a, a few of their other ones. I don't know. I just kind of liked that they did something so different with it. So this song, uh, Can of Fire Orange, was originally recorded on Star Stud to Super Stub. Right. And, but what I read from this genius.com thing is that the first, the original version, A, did not have the Spanish guitars and B, 
was only the first verse in the chorus. And so he's, Scott says that maybe that's one reason it seems less less Christian lyrically is, is because he says it was written over literally half of the song was written uh, you know, in 1992, and the other half was written in 1994. So it's a, it's kind of a disjointed song. It sounds good on there. Um, it's just a, it's kind of a nice change, and um, it's interesting to me that it's it's placed where it is on the album. I mean, I don't <laughs> know where else I would put it, but it's not like the last song or the second to last song. You know, we're towards the end, but we've still got a few more right before you get through. You know, you go from from this into Ring True. <laughs> which I always really liked this song um, just because it's, it's got a really different sound. Like mm-hmm. it's Aaron singing. I don't know. Just his voice kind of makes it different. I also feel like it's a little bit more straight ahead yes. pop song. So they refer to it as a worship song, which makes a lot of sense because structurally it is, it is a lot more straightforward. And I'd never thought of it as a worship song until I read that. Yeah. On the genius <laughs> thing, which is yeah, funny, which totally makes sense when you look at the lyrics, but it's just something about the way the song sounds you don't and i mean this is a a good thing you don't think of it that way well no you're not going to find you know three guys on acoustic guitars and one guy on drums up on the in front of the youth group playing this song right (laughs) um but i think this is this is the first time I ever heard Aaron sing. And then I remember, you know, on the Artcore Volume 1, there's that Rose Blossom Punch song, which I think was the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked that song a lot as well. But yeah, this song I loved. I remember listening to this a lot and kind of wishing we could hear more from Aaron and, and solo stuff at the time because it just, it's a nice song. He's got a good voice. It fits with it. Like it's, I liked it. And so, again, we're getting kind of near the end of the album, and and it's like they saved more of the weird stuff for the end, but (laughs) even though it kind of fits. um, In between this and Sickly, which is what they kind of... Oh, no, no, actually, sorry, Sickly is next, and then they have the Come To Me thing at the Mm -hmm. end. Um, So, let's talk about Sickly. I feel like that's probably the most (laughs) grunge-sounding song on the album. Yes, and the darkest. But it, like... I've been, I listened to it though, you know, re listened to it for this, and, and, uh. It's better than I thought. I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts on it. I thought it was, it's definitely the most grunge song on the album. I thought it was a little, I don't want to use the word derivative, but it was just, it's not the most original song on the album. But I, I also find that that darker, more, um, who's the other grunge band other than there's Nirvana and the other big one was... Um, Soundgarden or... Not, not Soundgarden. The one with even more nasally, nasally vocals than, uh, than Kurt Cobain. Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. <laughs> so that darker sort of grunge that Pearl Jam did, I was never a fan. Right. As far as grunge went, I was more a fan of of Nirvana because it was more like punk. It was more like a pop song, you know? Right. 
Whereas, you know, you know, I think Nirvana approached grunge from like, like a post-punk perspective, whereas Pearl Jam approached grunge from like a post-rock perspective, for example. And I feel like this is in that more seated in that post-rock part of the grunge genre. And I was never a fan of that. So honestly, I just, yeah, um, I, I did not pay a lot of attention to the song. Yeah, I lyrically, I think it's kind of weak with the kind of questions. Mm hmm. I see what he's trying to do, but he, I think he struggles a little bit to have, to have some good ones. I think the chorus is is pretty catchy with the, I don't know, but I think I'm going to scream. I don't know, but I think I'm going crazy. And I think as an angst-filled teenager, <laughs> like, <laughs> could definitely relate to that and enjoy that. I think it overall fit with this album, and it re this song really only made sense at the end of the album, hmm. I feel like. You know, like, you couldn't put this, like, song number two. It would, send the, it, would send the, it would almost send the wrong message about yeah, what this album is. Yeah, exactly. It, it fits with it, but it, it's kind of got, yeah, it's the darkest, it's the grungiest. And, they, and so the interesting thing is they didn't close with this. After it, they have that weird little like acoustic mm -hmm. thing for like a minute that I have no idea why it's on there. It's not terrible, but it's just like, whatever. And then there's the, <laughs> the voice recording at the end about the necklace. Did you yes. listen to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is possibly jeremy enoch oh man you ruined my you ruined i had that was the only thing i had for my uh i think it's jeremy enoch. yes <laughs> i read of all the interviews i read that was that it was what i could put together was i it think was yeah because they're they were actually really good friends and you know jeremy enoch yes. sings on that song on straight six mm -hmm. well they actually in a band they went to high school together they went to junior high and high school together and jeremy enoch was actually you know, originally in not the band that between Poor Lou, but another band right yeah, before that. Which is kind of nuts when you think about it. I feel like yeah. I feel like Poor Lou should, uh, in hindsight, play that up more because I don't think very many people real like Sunny Day has tons of fans, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think many people know about Poor Lou or know that he even sings on um, what's that song called? I think Digging <laughs> Digging Deep on Straight Six. I, if I were Poor Lou, I'd be playing that up even more. <laughs> so yeah, I you know overall, I really still kind of like this album quite a bit. You know, one thing we didn't talk about was just like the packaging of it. And I wish I still had it in front of me, but I was looking at these photos on Discogs and I thought they did a pretty good job with the style of it too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've got the, the, let's guess it's not a peep, but the bunny on the front, it's like peeps. It's a peep. And on the back. The, it's it's a, uh, they put out those bunnies at, at uh, Easter. Right. And on the back, it's got the like circus peanut thing and it's got the peppermint mm -hmm. inside on one of the pages and. Even the photo mm -hmm. of the band is kind of stylized with the colors. Like, it just, it flows. They put effort into it. It looks, I mean, it looks like the time period, but I think it, yeah. I, we're going to go through some albums on this show. Where we're going to be like, oh my God. You know? <laughs> so this, this one is, could be a lot worse. And I always thought that the, the simplicity, but also, you know, the texture and kind of the colors of, of the peep on the, I don't know, yellow background of some sort that has texture to it. You know, I, I think it's, it, it sends... You know, if, if, if you're going to if you're going to buy an album based on its cover, I think this sends the right message about what this yeah, album is. Yeah, I agree. It stands out. And, and I, yeah, and I think you're right. Like, for some reason, this album kind of fits with this cover. So, you, you know, you said you're a big Pearl Lou fan. So how how do you think Pearl Lou has shaped your or changed your uh, your your experience with the music over the years? Ooh, that's a good question. I think it, it didn't hit me till you were talking about it tonight. But I think one thing I'm grateful for is... Because I got so into this album, I think it kind of helped me 
it opened me up to listen to stuff that maybe wasn't just as straight ahead poppy. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the reason I got into this album is just because I didn't have a lot of other stuff at the time. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like there wasn't <laughs> Spotify. There wasn't all these things. And even at that time, there weren't like Tooth and Nail was just start- like there wasn't even the plethora of albums that would come a couple years later, like in the Christian market right? with good stuff. So it was like, there just wasn't a lot. So I listened to this a ton and I think it kind of, because like you said, it's not as straight ahead poppy. It's a little darker in places. It's just a little weirder. The melodies aren't as clear. Like I think that kind of hopefully as I went on and listened to and enjoyed a lot of different music, it kind of, you know, forged a path in that route we're being more open to stuff that's not as clear ahead poppy and again i i just i thought they were cool guys i loved that they you know answered my letter which was (laughs) super cool and um it it felt like a band that again i could feel like okay this is this is my band these guys are for me they're still christian but they're they're a little more edgy they're not as in your face beat you over the head with it it felt like kind of a band that you could straddle that line with of like this is kind of cool but also like keep the parents and everyone happy because it's still (laughs) christian you know (laughs) so at the time that was probably what i needed and and wanted (laughs) no i very much agree with that. that that's i think you know you know it was a year after this or so for me but but plank guy did that for me a lot you know they gave me that more more a little more edgy type stuff but and, and you know i felt like it was more something i wanted to listen to but was still was not controversial to listen to yeah it's funny i bet if we could talk to a lot of other people that listen to christian music like we did this time period there's probably everyone has that band that like that was the, the kind of i, I don't want to say crossover because it's not you know quote unquote secular it's just that band that kind of took you from like the safe you know forefront records or whatever like youth group stuff to like <laughs> This is a little more out there, but it's still acceptable, like best of both worlds kind of thing. So I think, yeah, poor old Lou was that for me. And I'm grateful because I think looking back, I'm I'm still like, oh, this is this is pretty good. And speaking of so this album was actually on Alorma Records, which is an imprint of Forefront. Frontline, Frontline, different. Frontline, sorry, you're sorry, you're you're, sorry, Frontline. (laughs) Do you know who was involved in signing poor old Lou to uh, Alorma? Tell me. Brandon Evil. Really? Because he used to work there, didn't he? Before. Yes. Interesting. I was reading a reading one of the interviews with one of the, one of these guys, and they said that while they were there negotiating at a frontline, negotiating their contract to sign with Alorma, they were talking to Brandon Evil about you know he you know he was talking about you know one day I'm going to open a, a, a my own my own record label, and then that afternoon he disappeared, and then all of a sudden there was a cake saying. Goodbye, Brandon, or something like wow. that, and they just they just fired him. <laughs> so uh, these guys were actually around to see him get fired from uh, from Frontline, which is what finally gave him the push to start Tooth and Nail. Part of me makes me wonder. I know they did put out an album on Tooth and Nail in like 2002 or something when they kind of got back together. I mm-hmm. a lot of people like that one. I don't like it as much. It to me, it feels more like adult alternative or something i don't know it's just a little especially when you like like Mm -hmm. sin you know listening to this compared to that it's like completely different world right but it does make me wonder at the time had this come out on like tooth and nail you know would it have been received different i I don't know like were they limited by being on alarma records in a very like because we're still very kind of christian scene and you know alarma was kind of the edgier part of, of frontline records but it was still like yeah the altered it wasn't mxpx you know or 
Right. Yeah. So I wonder if, if it would have changed anything. Yeah. Where things would have gone. I think it very much would have. I, th- I think if they they kind of got a, a, ignored a little bit at Alorma, which gave them a little bit more freedom musically to do what they wanted to do, which they probably would have gotten it to the nail no matter what. But they also got ignored as far as they didn't. No one ever marketed their stuff, you know. And if they were if they were over at Tooth and Nail, especially in 1994, Brandon Eppel would have marketed the shit out of this album. Right. Yeah. I mean, this would have been like the premiere. Yeah. like thing at the time yeah so yeah, i mean this this would have been starfire starfire you know um gold level of of let let or so well, silver was the first one sorry of, of pushing it out there it's a good question of course suit and nail was so early would they've had the funds to you know i don't know like i mean i mean starfire silver was was super early and that's that was one of the first bands that he that you can tell they really got behind right marketing wise i don't know what would have happened i mean they the thing about poor old lou and this is another memory so i you know I got to go to Cornerstone for the first time in 96, which just like blew my mind. I mean, it was like (laughs) heaven. I was like, oh my God, I could see like all these bands that I'd just been, you know, only known before. Because you're like me when you grow up in a smaller like city in Texas, but it's like not on the main circuit. Mm -hmm. It's not Dallas. It's not Austin. It's not Houston, basically. Like at least in the Christian scene, you never get to see any of these bands and so it was so great and so i saw i remember i was so excited i saw poor old lou and at that show they said they were breaking up and i was like (laughs) you gotta be kidding me i thought they were joking but no um so i've got to see this band one time and one time only Hmm. (laughs) we're kind of talking around it let me so let me give this album the award can i do that yeah so I want to give this album the producer award because I think that's what's made the difference in this. This is my theory behind the whole album is they got this guy, John Goodmanson, mm-hmm. to kind of engineer and produce it. And he has a pretty phenomenal track record. In fact, after this, he did a few before it. He's done like hundreds, I think, of albums, but he's done, you know, Death Cab for Cutie, some Bikini Kill albums, Blonde Redhead, Cloud Nothings um you know some not a surf the ones that really stood out to me though is he did a lot of the slater kenny albums especially like dig me out which i really like and some other ones so he's a really good producer and i think to me that's what makes when i when i thought about that i was like okay that kind of helps me understand this album more like yeah he kind of got his hands on some of this stuff and I think did a really good job but it also shows why this album to me sounds really different than all their other ones yeah that makes sense and I don't know how they got him. I mean, I know he was local at the time, and I know he wasn't as big as he is now, but I don't know how, like, a random Christian band snagged him. <laughs> but I think, like, what a great job and what a great find um, for getting him involved in this, because it really, I think it really shows, and I think it really helps explain, like, just some of the weird stuff in this album and some of the transitions and the things that really work, but I, that I don't remember being in any of the other Poor Blue stuff. I think this is a great example. Not that the Poor Lou is a bad band at all or anything like that, but this is like in the hands of a good producer, you know, how you can even do more. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because they're, as we talked about, they're a very, you might call them a very rambunctious band. Yeah. There's always a lot going on. And when there's a lot going on, if you don't have a good producer, it's just going to, it's just going to be messy. Right. Yeah. Th- th- this album could have been a mess. Yeah, I, I agree with you. <laughs> and it's not, but it could have been. Have you read the Wikipedia article? If this isn't written by one of the bands, the, by someone in the band, it's written by a huge fan. Oh, I think, yeah, I remember that. It definitely seems like it's written by somebody in the band, yeah. yeah. 
but so there's there, there is a paragraph here about sin that says the following summer this is after um uh, mind size the following summer the band recruited engineer slash producer john goodmanson and sin was recorded and released in 1994 when you said i don't know how they how they got this guy i was just struck by that line you know the band recruited <laughs> Well, and I don't know what album they heard before that he did that they liked, but good snag. So what are we listening to next week, Jay? We are going to listen to All Star United, their self-titled album from 1997. (laughs) So my church actually had All Star United and Seventh Day Jesus played in my church. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this first episode of Your Music Saved Us. If you enjoyed your time with us, please leave us a review or share this episode on the social media of your choice, where you can probably follow us at Your Music Saved Us, or email us at yourmusicsavedus at gmail.com. The music in this episode is the work of Pearl Lou and is used with apologies, not permission. Please check the show notes to find out where you can buy their music.